We're going to have a look at John chapter 2, verse 23 to 3.15. These are words that God speaks to us. And so let's ask him to be at work as we hear him speak. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have such easy access uh, to your word. Uh, thank you that you speak these words to us uh, by your Spirit. Please be at work in us by the same Spirit, um, convincing us of uh, what's true and uh, working through our thoughts uh, into our conscience and will and passions uh, than so uh, into all of our lives uh, for our good and for Christ's glory. Amen. Uh, near the end of the bit we read, uh, Jesus points back to Israelites who looked and lived. Uh, the story is from Numbers chapter 21, uh, but let's get there. Uh, by, I'll just tell you some stuff uh, from Exodus If ever there was a nation of whingers, Israel were it, after God brought them out of Egypt. He rescued them, but they kept complaining against Moses and God who sent him. God sent Moses doing signs to prove that he was sent by God. And God worked wonderful rescue through Moses. The living, true, and holy God worked wonders. He sent plagues to persuade Israel's masters to let his people go. Boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of Egyptian firstborn. God rescued Israel. Now Israel had grown, they'd called out to God. Israel had grown and called out to God for rescue because of the harsh treatment they experienced in Egypt. But once he'd rescued them, they grumbled against him. Straight after Moses' song to celebrate God bringing them through the Red Sea, they grumbled about having no water to drink, and God gave them water. Next they grumbled uh, they were better off in Egypt with food. Next they grumbled. How about I move this? That's going to help. God rescued them. They grumbled, they grumbled, hey, we've got no water, and God gave them water. Next they grumbled that they were better off in Egypt where they had food to fill them, and they accused Moses of bringing them out to starve them in the wilderness, and God gave them bread from heaven, manna. Then they move on to a different place, and they grumble again about no water, as if Moses had brought them out to kill them with thirst. And God gave them water from a rock. Now, that's Exodus chapter 17. And there's a whole lot of years and a whole lot of grumbling between there and Numbers chapter 20. Where again, Israel are grumbling because they have no water. They accuse God of bringing them out to kill them again. And God gives them water from another rock. Uh, Then the bit that Jesus mentions, uh, Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, the people speak. They speak against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. 
They are thoroughly fed up with eating the same bread every day. Every morning they wake up and there it is again. Bread from heaven. They are bored with God's daily demonstration that he cares for them. That they are his people under his care. And they're actually accusing God of planning to kill every one of them. It is extraordinary ingratitude and it is offensive accusation. They're saying they'd be better off without God. He's the predator who pulled them out of Egypt so that he could kill them and consume them himself. God punishes them. They deserve it. He sends fiery serpents among them, poisonous snakes. They begin to get what they deserve. Death is what they deserve. And verse 7, they acknowledge their sinful ingratitude and accusation. They say, take away the snakes. And God tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it up on a pole. And everyone who is bit, that everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And that is exactly what happens. Moses makes, uh, out of bronze, a serpent. He sets it up on a pole. And when the snakes bite them, they look and they live. Simpler and more effective than any anti-venom. As the poison spreads in their veins, they look and they live. God saves them from his judgment. We'll come back to how Jesus picks up on that story. It's a few weeks since we read chapter 1, where the author of John, uh, where the author said uh, about Jesus, the word made flesh. Uh, To all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That's chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. In Jerusalem, Passover faced, many believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus has been doing more miraculous signs in in Jerusalem. The people are seeing them and they are believing in his name. At first glance, you'd think, these are children of God. But Jesus sees what we don't. Verse 24 tells us what Jesus himself made of these trusters. He, Jesus, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. He knows the truth about them. He knows the truth without needing someone to tell him. He knows their trust in him is phony. So he does not entrust himself to them. I wonder if they knew. How would you or your friends know if your faith was phony? Chapters 3 and 4, uh, we'll see Jesus instantly get to the heart of pe- with people, with Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the Gentile official, because he sees and he knows. Here in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, John introduces us to the first of those, to Nicodemus. He introduces us to Nicodemus as someone Jesus sees and knows. Listen to the words that John uses. 
He just said Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man. And he, and he says, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus comes. Uh, Jesus didn't entrust himself to those who trusted him when they saw signs. And Nicodemus comes talking about signs. John introduces us to Nicodemus as an example of a man who has seen signs. Who Jesus has not yet entrusted himself to. Nicodemus comes in darkness. And that has got anything to do uh, with him not wanting people to know he's coming. Uh, we'll see Nicodemus uh, two more times uh, later in the gospel, and he's not someone who wants to hide his opinions. He just speaks up. It could be he's uh, just there because it's night, and that's when rabbis uh, would sit around chatting into the night. But another thing we will see as we read the rest of the gospel is that night and darkness are often associated with distance from God. Uh, seen that earlier in the, in the gospel, but for example, chapter 3, verse 19. The light has come, and people loved darkness. So Nicodemus coming at night may be a hint that he's still far from God. He himself just hints that he's come to learn. Uh, verse, two, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, teacher. Uh, and then, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And he says we know he's probably being pretentious. That's sort of a we know, like a royal we. He doesn't seem to be there as a representative. He's there as someone who knows he is an impressive person. Verse 1, a ruler and a Pharisee. He's part of the ruling elite. He's a member of the religious elite. Verse 10, he's a teacher of Israel. So he's got chops politically and morally and intellectually. And he knows it. He knows he's impressive and he comes to Jesus to tell Jesus what he thinks of Jesus. He's seen the miraculous signs Jesus has done and his assessment of Jesus is that he is a teacher sent from God. He doesn't ask Jesus to teach him. He just puts it out there. In my opinion, you are a teacher sent by God. And he waits. And then we hear the man whose signs reveal his glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He speaks. He highlights what he's about to say. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, listen very carefully, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus say that? It's because Nicodemus thinks he sees. He's weighed up what he's seen. He's come to tell Jesus what he makes of Jesus. His assessment of Jesus is that Jesus is a teacher sent from God. Full stop. The problem is that he thinks that what matters is what he thinks about Jesus. When what really matters is what Jesus knows about him. He thinks he sees, so Jesus tells him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinks he sees. He thinks he sees and understands what he has seen. 
But only those who are born again can see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He virtually says so so himself in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, he's not kind of sitting back and expecting Jesus to to explain how it is possible for a full-grown adult to enter his mother's womb and be born again. But Jesus explains, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you again, listen very carefully, I'm, I'm about to tell you something absolutely true. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's this about being born of water and the Spirit? Now, some people do reckon that Jesus is talking about baptism, but John hasn't said anything to push us towards baptism. It could be that water and spirit are actually, he's contrasting natural and supernatural birth. Everyone is naturally born of water, uh, with the water being the woman's waters breaking. Uh, But only those who are supernaturally born of the spirit, who are given you life by him, they can enter the kingdom of God. It's possible that the thing is there's no evidence of anyone in Jesus, anyone anyone using that phrase, born of water, as a way to talk about natural birth, unless this is it. <laughs> so what does Jesus mean by being born of water and the Spirit? I, I think actually what we're looking at is two ways of describing one supernatural reality. The two ways of describing being born again. Let me show you why. I put verses 3, to f- three and 5 side by side on a slide. So have a look. That They'd run in parallel. Uh, verse 3, Jesus answered him. Verse 5, Jesus, Jesus answered. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you. Verse 3, unless one is born again. Verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is repeating and expanding what he said before. That's what? one reason for thinking he's talking about the same thing from three angles. Uh, born of water and the spirit is equivalent to born again. Um, it's kind of out of water, out of spirit, but it's actually out of water and spirit, not out twice. But actually, verse 9, that's, that's really the key thing. Verse 9, Nicodemus is going to say, I don't get it. And then Jesus says, verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things that we just talked about? See, he should have been able to get it. Because he knew the Old Testament well enough to be a teacher of Israel. Nicodemus not getting it, even though he is an expert in the Old Testament, is the best clue to what Jesus means in verse 3 and verse 5. It sends us to search the Old Testament to understand what he meant. Now, being born again is not a, an Old Testament idea. You won't hear it as you read through your Old Testament. But water and spirit connected to each other in the context of a new beginning? You will see that. That is an Old Testament idea. It's probably most clear in Ezekiel chapter 36, which is why we're going to have a look at that. Ezekiel spoke long after God rescued Israel uh, out of Egypt, uh, after he had given the promised land to Israel and then taken it from them because... uh, they uh, lived in such wickedness and rebellion and sin. They, sent, they were sent into exile. God had promised to bless them if they obeyed. Uh, they'd lived in peace and plenty under his care. His promise was that if they obeyed, 
Uh, God would have lived among them without feeling anger and outrage with them, and they would have been his people. He would have been their God. But over and over and over, they disobeyed and acted in wickedness, rebellion and sin, and so the Lord God punished them by scattering them among the nations. And they blamed him as if it happened because they were worshipping the wrong God and he was too weak to care for them. And the nations thought he was definitely too weak to care for his people. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, the Lord God speaks to scattered Israel and says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How will they know? What will he do? Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. What did God say he would do? He said he would make them new. Cleanse them with water so that they don't do uncleanness or follow idols. Give them a new heart and a new spirit. Not stony heart of rebellion, but fleshy heart obedience. Put his own spirit in them so that they desire and do obedience. That's what Jesus means when he's talking about being born of water and the spirit. And being born again, verse 3 and verse 7. And being born of the spirit, verse 6 and 8. It's that radical renewal that God said he would do. That God has been saying he would do for centuries before he sent Jesus. And God has been saying it in the scriptures that Nicodemus knew. So verse 7, Jesus says, Do not marvel what that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus is using a new phrase to describe a long-talked-about reality. God's radical renewal of his people, each one individually. God's law within them written on their hearts, rebelliousness washed away with water, a new spirit of obedience worked in. That transformation, that new birth, is something God does by his spirit. Now, spirit and wind are the same word in Greek, Hebrew 2. Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
you see the leaves you see the leaves moving you see the the branches sway but you don't see the wind so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit you don't see the spirit working but you can see that the spirit has worked now whatever the belief in Jesus name is in chapter 2 verse 23 It isn't the outworking of this new birth. And Jesus saw it. So he didn't entrust himself to them. It's the same with Nicodemus. His reaction to seeing signs and hearing teaching isn't the outworking of new birth and the Spirit's work. He hasn't been born again. We see he isn't born again in his response to Jesus. Uh, John helped us see it. Uh, Verse 11. Uh, Nicodemus is hearing Jesus insist he speaks as someone who knows and sees spiritual and eternal reality. But Nicodemus is not receiving Jesus' testimony. The earthly things that Jesus has spoken, uh, they're the things that happen on earth. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about. Nicodemus has not received the things about God's work on earth in people. He hasn't accepted what Jesus has said about them. So he won't accept if Jesus was to teach him heavenly things. So Jesus doesn't entrust Nicodemus with teaching him more. Not like he does with his disciples. Uh, He keeps entrusting them with more. But Jesus does keep giving Nicodemus reasons to believe. Verse 13, Jesus knows heavenly as well as earthly things because he is the Son of Man. He is the one person who descended to earth from heaven. Nicodemus really should trust him and receive his teaching. This is where Jesus refers to the story I started with. Uh, Those Israelites were in danger of death because God was judging them for their wickedness, rebellion, and sin. They deserved death. And God gave life to every one of them that looked at the serpent that Moses lifted up. In verse 14, uh, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the Son of Man. He will be lifted up on the cross. He'll be lifted up and killed on the cross. He'll be lifted up and exalted as Savior on the cross to be raised and lifted up to God's right hand in glory. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. All people everywhere need to look to Jesus. Jesus who was lifted up and exalted on the cross. Jesus who is now raised and lifted up to God's right hand in glory. And they and we need to look to him and believe in him and put our trust in him. Because apart from him, we don't already have eternal life. Apart from him, they do have death and judgment in their veins. See, just like the ancient Israelites who grumbled at God, we all deserve death and judgment for the damage and dishonor we have done. Just like God gave life to every one of the ancient Israelites, who looked at that serpent that Moses lifted up, 
God gives eternal life to everyone who looks to Jesus lifted up as rescuer and ruler. John showed us uh, Nicodemus standing over Jesus to assess him instead of receiving and trusting his teaching. He's like one of those ancient Israelites feeling the pain of the snake bites, seeing the poisonous snakes slither away, having some sense that the poison that will kill him is spreading through his body, but not looking to the serpents Moses lifted up at God's commands. If he will, if he won't look, he will die. But if he will look, he will live. Jesus says, look and live. Look at him. Live. Be saved from God's judgment. Now, John doesn't tell us what Nicodemus did immediately. It's not really about Nicodemus. It's about you and me as we meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We see the phony faith of the many in Jerusalem who saw signs. Uh, Nicodemus himself, (laughs) also a speed bump to help us wonder... How would we or our friends know if our faith was phony? Because this passage undermines the uh, the certainty that of, of people. This passage undermines the certainty of people who have given Jesus a nod at some stage, but carry on in life with no real change. The Bible cannot imagine someone who is truly born again and still lives for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yes, people backslide. Uh, Yes, there are different rates of growth, progress, and regress going forward and going backwards. But we have no permission to think that someone who says something about Jesus and then invests everything in living for themselves is born again. The new birth is by its nature a clean-up job, cleansed with water. It's the spirit working, the power to change. Growth may be slow. Growth may be painful. Growth may be a struggle. It may be fast and sudden at times, and at other times so very slow. But there will be growth. It has a direction and a goal. A baby is born and then it grows. The new birth that Jesus is talking about, it's not a nothing that may turn into a something. It is already life from God with the power to grow in a certain direction. Until finally, on the last day, we are so changed that we cannot, that we are so changed that we stand in great delight in the unshielded glory of God and so changed that we will not be ashamed. We will not be ashamed because of what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has done in us.
was done confidently but not proudly because we didn't give ourselves new birth we didn't give ourselves birth we don't give ourselves new birth god gives birth the spirit moves where he wills he gives life and the most fundamental sign of new life is to look to jesus that's where it begins uh, the place that nicodemus hasn't yet gone he saw Jesus' signs and judged Jesus worth listening to. He's interested to hear the ideas that Jesus, uh, that, that God has given Jesus. But he, he doesn't see his danger, and he doesn't see Jesus as rescuer and ruler. Right, whether beginning or whether long time into knowing about Jesus. Yeah, we need to explore and assess and understand. But all we ever do is explore and assess and understand. We haven't understood. We don't sit above Jesus judging him, assessing him for who he is. Put it this way. The most important opinion is not what we think about Jesus, but what Jesus thinks about us. It's what Jesus thinks about you. What Jesus knows about you. So he knows you need him. He knows he is willing to save you. He knows he has done everything necessary for your salvation. He knows he can bring you to God as his forgiven child. He knows he can make you new. So look and live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do see your Son in your scriptures. Thank you that we see him as he truly is. Father, please do break down um, those aspects of us which um, can just want to know and understand and explore. Father, please protect us from sitting over and judging who Jesus is instead of realizing we sit under Jesus as your Savior, as the ruler you sent. Thank you for this glorious reality about him that he went to the cross, lifted up on the cross to death in our place, exalted as Savior on the cross, as the one who has paid everything that's necessary for forgiveness, exalted and lifted further up in his resurrection and uh, ascension to your right hand where he sits in glory. Thank you that we meet him in your word as the one who knows we need him, who is willing to save, who has done everything necessary for our salvation, who is able to or has already brought us into your presence as your children, and who by his spirit is working to make, his to make your children into his likeness. Father, we praise and thank you that you do give new birth. 
Father, please cause us to keep in step with your Spirit's work where he has begun. And Father, we long for that day when we will be so changed that we'll stand in your glorious presence unshielded and unashamed because of what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has done in us. And it's through him and for his glory that we pray. Amen.